You're listening to Bold Voices, Soft Hearts, a podcast featuring stories of people who found their passion through pain. We're so glad you're here with us. Be sure to follow us on social media and send this episode to a friend who might need some encouragement. And now our latest episode. Well, hello and welcome to the eighth episode of Bold Voices, Soft Hearts. This is the last one of the year 2023. I cannot believe it. And I truly cannot thank each of you enough for tuning in over the past few months. It's been a really exciting journey up to this point, and I'm excited to see what 2024 has in store. I'm inviting a super inspirational woman on the show today, and I cannot wait for you to hear her story. But before we dive in, I want to encourage you to share your favorite episode with a friend maybe something that really struck a chord with you or touched you, pass it along. Also, if you have a show idea, I want to hear from you. Please email me at mistysnyder17 at gmail.com or reach out to me on social media. There are so many powerful stories out there that I want to hear and share. So I want to hear from you. And speaking of powerful stories... I have a really impactful guest on the show today. We first met in 2015, shortly after I married my husband. We were both living in Pennsylvania, and we both had much different circumstances in our lives at that time. I don't want to give too much away ahead of time, so let's dive in. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Misty. It means a lot to be here with you. Hey, So it's so great to spend time with you. (laughs) Okay, so let's let's dive in. I want to know, just tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, um, maybe where you grew up, what you do. Let's hear some background. Sure. So I grew up in small town Vermont, and I lived there for the first 22 years of my life. When I graduated from college, I relocated to the mid-Atlantic where I began my career in athletic communications and uh, spent 12 years doing that. And then I had an opportunity at Gettysburg College to get involved in the administration of athletics programs, where I have been for the last 20 years. I am now Senior Associate Director of Athletics, interfacing with all 24 of our athletic programs in the administration of such and, and working with the student athletes and coaches and been quite a, quite a ride. Yeah. (laughs) How, how much have athletics played a part in your own life and your, your personal life? Sure. Well, I grew up, uh, idolizing my sisters who swam on a summer league team. And so when I was five, in order to spend more time with them, I joined the summer league swim team. And that began my love for swimming, where I proceeded to compete all the way up through age groups and into college for for four years. So I I had a great career swimming, uh, loved it. And when I graduated, I eventually turned my attention to running and just pretty much as a means to exercise a little bit, get outside. But then I ran my first race 
And then it was, it was a five miler and that really kind of got me excited about running. And then I proceeded to start training for half marathons and I had completed four when I was training for my fifth. Explain to me what running did for you aside from just like the active nature. Yes. Well, yeah, it was a really good release. It, it, it broke up the day or started by morning and it just really cleared your head. It, it made you, made me feel so good when in even the days that's like, Oh, you know, I don't really want to do this. And I would, I would make myself go out and do it. Even if it was just a short one, just to get out there and, and, and enjoy the outside and then enjoy those moments. And it, I was always so glad that I did it. And, and if I was struggling with something, it would, I would be able to think my way through it. And it, it just made everything so much better. And, and, and the reasons why I was running, it was more than just exercise. It was an outlet. But when I was training for races, what I would usually do is I would train for a purpose. So my first half marathon, a friend of mine who was actually one of the lost boys of the Sudan, he was starting a foundation to help raise money for his family uh, that was still in the Sudan. And he walked over 3000 miles as a, as a child, basically. Uh, and, and, and if he can do that, certainly I could run 13 miles to help support this foundation getting off the ground. And I also, one year after my sister was diagnosed with lymphoma, uh, I ran in honor of her and and helped support lymphoma and stand up to cancer. And and it, it was always personal and meaningful to me. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that from a lot of runners. And when you can run for a cause and it's outside of yourself and you have a greater purpose, it's such a powerful thing. So, so take us, so you're, so you're in it, you're running more, you're enjoying the activity, you're, you're raising awareness, you're fighting for a cause, you're getting behind so many good things and take us to what was the year? Was it 2017? It was 2015 when I was just starting to train for my fifth half marathon. Okay. When I, uh, when I finished my fourth, I had just missed my goal time but I still ran a career best on that fourth half marathon and I was a little bit injured and I needed to take a little bit of break so that I could heal. And I ran some much smaller races, a couple of five K's of five miler. And I was doing those really, really well. So when the calendar turned to 2015, I was setting my sights on a fifth half marathon and was really excited about the training and, and moving forward. And over the summer in 2015, uh, I had a pain in my foot and it wasn't really getting any better. So I was changing my gait a little bit and I was taping my foot and, and as my mileage needed to get up, I was struggling more and more 
And then, and I was thinking, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with tabling the half marathon. You can maybe do a, a 10 miler and then it became a 10 K and then it became, well, a five miler and a 5k. And, and when I could no longer get around the block, I finally admitted that perhaps my foot was really injured and I needed to go see a doctor. So that was early 2016 when I finally made that appointment and they thought maybe there was a stress fracture. They did a couple of MRIs. They couldn't quite figure out what was going on, but they could see a lot of inflammation and something going on with my foot. So they sent me to a foot and ankle surgeon. And when I got there, he knew immediately what was wrong. Uh, I had torn four plantar plates in the bottom of my foot. And the plan was to reconstruct my foot. And perhaps that in six months, I would be able to learn to run again. But that plan sort of went awry. So, so at this point you're in pain, you're trying to get treatment and you, what are setting up surgery and, um, talk to us about after, after the surgery, what sort of happened there? Sure. Sure. So I had a follow-up appointment at six weeks and I had developed a small wound on my foot near my incision and my foot was basically stone cold and had gone purple. And my surgeon went into emergency protocol and was thinking perhaps that there was a block or blood clot or something along those lines. And those tests came back inconclusive and they weren't quite sure what was going on. Um, but more tests kept digging and I finally ended up seeing a vascular surgeon uh, a couple of months in, into this process. And she read my CT scan and she looked at me and she looked at my damaged foot and said that she was going to hit me with something really hard. And in a split second, I'm thinking like a billion things went through my head of what she could possibly say to me that was so hard. What didn't go through my mind was this. So as she looked at my foot and as she looked at me, she said, if you were my sister, I would tell you to amputate your foot because you will be able to run again. You'll have much more mobility than you have right now because I was, I was still on crutches after all these months, uh, I mean, I, it had been, uh, it had been over a year at this point and I, I, I never dreamed that those words would ever cross my mind. I, I, and I, I didn't know I could cry so hard, so fast. It was just incomprehensible that somebody was recommending to take my foot off because it, it was so damaged. And I went back to my foot and ankle surgeon and, and we had a heart to heart. And he said, well, you know, that's, that's not going to happen. And he proceeded to start sending me across the country so that we get to some of the best medical facilities, to the, some of the best doctors 
to try to save my foot and, and really try to figure out what was wrong with it. And I went to so many different specialists. They all looked at my foot and said, there is something seriously wrong. I don't know what it is and I'm not it. And they would send me back to my foot and ankle surgeon. And, and, and he would send me to the next place and to the next place. And every time I would come back, I would come back in tears because there was no answers and things were not getting any better. And it was, it, it, it was a, a real, real challenge. Six, eight months had gone by of, of trying to do this. We got to February of 2018 and he, my foot and ankle surgeon looked at me and he said, Susan, we're at a crossroads. We're really out of time that my, my foot was so bad and I couldn't walk. I was in a ton of pain and he ended up, we ended up agreeing that that perhaps this was the best thing for me. I was going to be able to probably a, a lot of amputees can do really great things. And, and there was really no doubt that I would have a, a better quality of life. So you've heard all this and you are now sort of facing what probably seemed like the worst case scenario at the time, I would, I would assume, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did that feel like the worst case scenario in this situation? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I had hope for, for a better life, but I remember sitting in my doctor's office and, and having a long conversation with him. And I said, you don't understand this doesn't happen in my world. I work in intercollegiate athletics. I am with 18 to 22 year olds who are competing and winning national championships and conference championships and, and, and loving sport. And I don't know that I had ever met an amputee or seen an amputee. And how could, how could this be happening to me? I had never as much broken a bone or Wow. I never sick and, and just had, wow. had a really healthy life and I was doing all the right things that how on earth could this, this be happening? Um, but I was not doing well and, mm. you know, in my current state and mm. in, in order for me to be able to hopefully get a new lease on life it was really the best and only option available at, at that particular point in time. March of 2018, uh, we made that decision together and went forward with it. In March of 2018. So would you say that that portion of time that you just described where you had the, you had to have that acceptance of what was going to happen, that this is kind of the inevitable um, to, to be able to get better. Was that the hardest time or was post-surgery? Uh, I was, I was doing pretty well. I, I was, when we, when we made the decision to go forward, I did believe that 
I was going to be able to walk again. I was going to be able to run again. And I knew I had a great team of with my foot and ankle surgeon and my physical therapist, and they were going to help me get through to the other side. But the journey was unbelievably complicated. And I was failing to get into a socket because of a whole lot of pain. And then my limbs started to get discolored and as, as it did before, and it started to swell again. And my skin, as, as we were trying to, to fit my, my limb into a socket, my skin ended up breaking down. And when you're in a socket you, and you have broken skin, it's only going to get worse. Mm. And, and so you need to be out of it for until it heals. Mm. And I was not healing. And before I knew it, the skin kind of shredded off the, the base of my limb. And there would, there would be no below knee socket. And my right leg that was uninjured and entirely healthy all of a sudden it wasn't my foot and ankle surgeon continued to again still send me to some of the best specialists in this country and i got admitted at the university of pittsburgh for a week and they tried uh, an infusion medication to hopefully get the blood flowing a little bit more i struggled with that uh, and fortunately i had a really good attending physician and he came in my room one day and we were chatting and he said, you know, I don't have any more idea than anyone else as to what is wrong with your foot, but the next place that you need to go. And, and this was about a year or so after all of this had happened was you need to go to the NIH, the national institutes of health into the undiagnosed disease network and I will help you get in. And that was the first time one of these specialists actually said something other than there's something seriously wrong and I don't know what it is. No one else ever really came forward with a suggestion. Wow. And, and he followed through and he was able to get me into that program. And I spent a lot of time at the NIH in Bethesda, where I saw every specialist imaginable. They ran a number of studies and different tests, and they finally did a biopsy on my limb and my right leg to try to figure out what was what was wrong. And I kept believing and I kept hoping that the doctors would finally have an idea and how to fix it. And when my attending at the NIH came in after the biopsy, she said, we identified a process and my heart started beating really fast, just like, oh my gosh. And then she said, but we've never seen it before and we don't know how to fix it. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I mean, where do you go? Not words that you want to hear from this country's best medical scientists, but like my attending at the University of Pittsburgh, 
my my attending at NIH said the next spot that you need to go is Johns Hopkins University and you need to see Dr. Jonathan Forsberg. He was described to me as brilliant and cutting edge. And I continued to hold on to that hope and I met him and he said those exact same words as everyone else. I have no idea what's wrong with your limb or, or your right leg, but here's what we're going to do. And like the doctor at the University of Pittsburgh and like the doctor at the NIH, he then proceeded to lay out about an eight point plan. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And basically just took it step by step. And I really believe that this was going to be the beginning of something pretty special. And, and it was. And Dr. Forsberg introduced me to his colleague, Dr. Jamie Shores, who was part of the integrated team at Johns Hopkins that dealt with osteointegration surgery. Wow. <laughs> and the idea was to, to try to keep me below me. And they did a revision. And shortly after that first revision surgery on my below knee, about six, eight weeks later, we knew it had failed. And the day of a follow-up appointment after that revision surgery, the hospitals had all just shut down because of COVID. Mm. And he said, we can't do another surgery, which was going to take me above the knee, uh, but we'll get you in as soon as time on the schedule can open up. And then my limbs started to really break down. And I had a couple of trips to the ED. And the second one yielded a decision that they needed to go above the knee and they needed to do this pretty quickly. So about three weeks, two or three weeks after that trip, uh, Dr. Forsberg and and Dr. Shores got together and they revised my limb above the knee. And at the time, at the same time, they did the Oprah implant system by Integrum, which was a form of osteointegration, which allows for a bone anchored external prosthesis so that you don't have to rely on the traditional socket because the socket would just break my skin down. And it was a two-stage surgery and they did my second stage in August and by late or early December of, of 2020, I was taking my first steps with my first actual prosthesis. Wow. Hearing the story from start to finish, um, it's really, uh, kind of mind blowing because, you know, seeing you now and knowing what I know, which, you know, I hope you'll share some of, but knowing what I know of your journey, it's, it's, it's so to hear it, it's, it's so much, but what you have overcome and what you have, what you have walked literally, what, it, what you have walked through, um, I think would be people would think, like you said, 
this could never, this could never happen to me. This will never happen to me. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, just this idea of, you know, um, I've never walked with these legs before. And if that was just like so overwhelming or was there an element of it that was exciting because you had such amazing people on your team? Yeah, the, the entire integrated team was, was really pretty amazing. And the steps that I was taking in December of 2020 was just actually on my unilateral uh, left prosthesis. Uh, during this time, they wanted to make sure that my left was going to be okay before they went ahead and amputated my right leg above the knee. And uh, fortunately, everything was working out really, really well. And I was learning to walk and, 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 and walking pretty well with my, my left prosthesis, but my right leg was declining rather mm -hmm. rapidly. Mm -hmm. And they ended up taking my right leg above the knee in July of 21. And they did my stage two surgery in December of 2022. And then I started to learn to walk mm -hmm. shortly thereafter, wow. uh, uh, after the first of the year. And, and, and those first steps on my bilateral prosthesis were amazing because mm -hmm. I had struggled so much to walk since 2015. Every step that I took was more painful than the last. And I had to endure a lot of surgeries to get to that point. And finally, I took those first steps between the parallel bars and it was just absolutely incredible. Oh, I can only imagine. <laughs> and, and, and I started out on a walker mm -hmm. and could not wait until I could transition from that into a, a lesser assistive device. And it took a few months, but by July, late July, I was walking with forearm crutches and that allowed for my steps to improve and, and to really work on some more static balance and, and, and just keep moving forward. Once I was walking, I, I really started to challenge myself and I was given an opportunity to go to the amputee coalition conference. Mm. I was seeing other amputees. I was seeing other bilateral amputees. I was seeing people that were really successful bilateral amputees. Hmm. And I just kept thinking there's no reason why I'm not going to be one of them. Hmm. I knew I wasn't ever going to be able to run again because of the osteointegration, because of the Oprah implants, because it would put too much stress on my femurs. But gosh, you know, I, I can walk and mm. I, and I hadn't been doing that for years. Mm. And, and to me, that was one of the biggest gifts. Mm. And so let's make this walking, you know, let's find a way to learn to walk with one crutch. Let's find a way to 
walk with a cane. Let's now find a way to walk without an assisted device. And I am really proud to say that I am walking completely unassisted mm-hmm. inside and, and, and outside. Now, occasionally I, I might have to use, use, use my cane. If, if I'm really unfamiliar with the territory, uh, I am learning to master slopes mm. and, and, and every challenge that I have in front of me, I'm going to figure out a way to do it. Yep. You are. I I had the privilege of seeing you this summer and it was, it was such an honor just to, to see, to know, you know, bits of your story that you've just shared here and to see you in action and to be like, this, this is amazing. This is amazing. You're walking and assisted and you're rocking it. And I, I, you know, we've heard about the physical part, but I'm just curious to know specifically because now being in the disability community as a mom and knowing a lot of other people who have been disabled from birth, um, talk to me a little bit about the emotional journey of um, not being disabled before and and the journey that you've been through. What eye-opening moments have you had where you, where maybe things that you never would have seen without being in the position you are in? Well, it, it was interesting because I remember sitting in Dr. Hall's office sobbing that saying that this doesn't happen in my world. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I had ever even seen an amputee mm-hmm. in and around my own community. And then all of a sudden there are articles that I might not have noticed before about college athletes who are actually amputees Mm. or I was running into people in Gettysburg. I, that, that were amputees that I, I just, my eyes were just opened so much more. I was at one of our basketball games and I was in my, prostheses and somebody walked by me and said, Hey, I like your legs. And I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, what, what are you? T- <laughs> it, it just caught me completely off guard. And, and then I really took notice and he himself was an amputee <laughs> and, and he was an above me amputee and he was actually on crutches, but he was really impressed with with the legs that I had. I, I have microprocessor knees, so they're have little computers in them, and they're really smart. Sometimes I think they're smarter than me <laughs> <laughs> because it, it it knows when I'm going to stumble and oh, will prevent me from stumbling. Wow, and I need that. It, now I have ended up on the ground a couple of times, but to actually have this conversation with this gentleman was just another, just another touch point. Mm. And earlier this year, I had a parent of one of our players who said that, uh, you know, he, he knew uh, an amputee and, and was wondering if I might be able to provide some support, uh, you know, to the, to this individual and just 
being able to reach out to other amputees and potentially help them through their journey from what my experience has been like has been been really rewarding and the emotional journey you know i kind of ignored it a little bit but at at first but i i had read a book by robin roberts uh years years before Mm -hmm. i was before any of this had happened and she one of her her the book was make your mess your make your mess your message Mm. and i really started to embrace that and i became a certified peer visitor through the amputee coalition just to kind of bridge the increase my knowledge base Mm. really Mm. and and to be able to help amputees in a productive way Mm -hmm. and i have also been able to talk to other amputees about the oprah implant system which is what i have a form of osteointegration it's one method of it and to be able to walk them through what my experience has been, it, it has just been life-changing positive for me. Be- it, it was the one thing that could potentially allow me to walk. Mm. Uh, and, and, it, and it has done that. Mm. Uh, now, just the surgery itself and these implants, no, that didn't make me well able to walk. It was a lot of hard work and perseverance mm-hmm. that, that allowed me to walk. But the the implants allowed allows my skin to not have contact with sockets and 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 things like that. So mm-hmm. I didn't have to worry about the breakdown. And and that's what had en- enabled me to be able to learn to walk this technology because it solved so many other different issues for me. Mm. And, and, and it allowed me to put in the work and I am one determined cookie. <laughs> yes, you are. Yes, you I, are. I have never, you know, backed down from any challenge. And, and yes, this was the biggest challenge that I have ever encountered. Uh, but I knew it was ahead of me and you just tackle it one piece at a time, mm-hmm. one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And it there there was never going to be one giant step that was going to allow me to do it right but it was a hundred steps it was a thousand steps it was a million steps along the way and every step that i took every step got better Mm. and once you could put together two or three steps that were really good those two or three steps became four or five. The next thing you know, it's a hundred and then it's a thousand. And all of a sudden, yeah, I can walk a mile. Yeah, I can walk two miles. And while I'm not going to run that half marathon, who knows, maybe I can walk it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I got to thinking that as we are now approaching you know, 2024, I can spend this next year working towards 
something that's a real challenge for me. And I could potentially be doing it 10 years after I injured my foot. Susan, on the, on the, on the outside looking in, it's just been such a powerful thing to watch your journey. And I guess I would just be curious knowing what you know now and having the journey that you've had, if there was someone who was going through something similar and was in the trenches of just like, I think there's that initial just like shock that, that, that blow of being in a doctor's office and hearing a diagnosis or those words that you never thought you would hear somebody else, maybe, maybe someone else in a far off distant land, but certainly not me. And I, as you know, I've had that moment and I wonder what you would say to someone receiving a similar diagnosis to you, um, to maybe give some hope or shed some light on the future. Yeah. I mean, like I said, the first time that a specialist looked at me and looked at my damaged foot and, and said amputation, oh my gosh. I mean, it was instant sobbing tears. Mm -hmm. uh, and I said, I, I, I didn't know I could cry so hard so fast, mm -hmm. but you take a deep breath and when it got to those crossroads, you know, I, I, I have never backed away from a challenge mm -hmm. and yes, making that decision was one of the hardest things that I ever had to do. I mean, my doctor needed to hear me say, yes, right. We can do this surgery. And it, it was hard. And the days leading up to it and the days leading after the surgery were very difficult, but just take it one breath at a time, mm. one, one thing at a time. Mm -hmm. You're not going to all of a sudden just start at the end. And, right. and it was just, like I said, it's, it was a lot of little steps mm -hmm. and, and you just need to celebrate the successes along the way, mm -hmm. uh, no matter how small. And one of the things that I've learned, you know, you need to give yourself some grace mm -hmm. and not every day is going to be a good day. There are going to be hard days, but what, what went well on those hard days mm -hmm. that, so that you can go to sleep that night saying, okay, tomorrow's going to be another day mm -hmm. and, and, and really just build on a little success. And instead of saying those were not five good steps, but, but you had two really good steps in there. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. now let's build those two steps into, into two more mm -hmm. and, and, focus on what went well mm -hmm. and, and why it went well. And the more positive reinforcement that you can give yourself, it, it just makes you stronger because mm -hmm. sometimes it's just hard to believe people, you know, Oh, you're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great. But when you can recognize in yourself a good step or something that just went really well, 
that that goes a long way. Mm, I love that. And so much is perspective, which you have have that's been like the underlying message here that I love when you said, you know, I'm I I'm I may not be running that half marathon, but I might walk it. And and I I find that a lot with my my journey in my own life and with and and with Jed, you know you've got like society standards and what we all sort of think, well, this is how it'll be and white picket fence and A plus B equals C. But sometimes that's not what happens. Sometimes A plus B equals, you know, F. And that's the wrong word, wrong letter. <laughs> e, right? Um, <laughs> F has negative connotation. But the point is, is that, you know, sometimes life is coloring outside of the lines and it's outside of the box. And to be able to shift our perspective and just to see so much of what you have overcome that you are overcoming and that you are setting a new pace, not only for yourself, but for those around you to witness and be inspired like I have been by you and to learn from you. And um, I'm just so excited for what lies ahead for you, Susan. Um, I know we have vastly different journeys, but I feel like they're so much the same. I feel so much of our, we've talked about this, of our journeys, like being almost mirroring each other. And it's a, it's a real gift to connect with someone in that way. And I'm hoping that there's a listener out there that hears this and they may not be facing your exact situation, but there's something here I know that has connected. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I am not doing this alone. I have an army of friends and family behind me, supporting me and cheering me on, Yes, you know, near, near and far Yeah, my, my entire integrated medical team and physical therapists and all of them. And, and even my foot and ankle surgeon who has been on this journey with me since 2016, when I first saw him and, and my physical therapist, I mean, they're all watching and, and watching to see what's next. And mm. without the support of that medical team, that, that the ones that didn't give up, Mm -hmm. that always had hope for me mm -hmm. and believed for me when, when I struggled mm -hmm. and because my Dr. Hall really believed that there was going to be something there for me. Uh, and now he's seeing it. Uh, you know, he never gave up and, mm -hmm. and my team at Johns Hopkins is right behind me and, and watching every single step. Mm. And, and the community of the, those that have, that have the Oprah implant and learning from each other and uh, learning from other BACAs, bilateral above knee amputees. And it, it's just, and, and the, the support from Integrum uh, has, has been tremendous. Mm. I, I would it, it's just so many people behind me. Mm. It's incredible. Community and support is everything. It really is. I mean, it, it takes a village in, yes. in, in life period, but especially when you encounter the unexpected, I am so grateful that you took the time to tell your story and, um, 
in the show notes, we'll have uh, your bio and and maybe some references for people to uh, further look up some of the the people and organizations and resources that you've mentioned here, um, because I do think it's so important to know. And I really love how you mentioned that your eyes really open um, when you're exposed to things, when you encounter things yourself, but also just through having a friend now through knowing you almost anywhere I go, I'll notice somebody and be like, Oh, that's so awesome. And I think of you. Right. And, and it has completely opened my eyes. And I've had people say that through watching Jed's life. And I think when there's something so beautiful about being exposed to a different way, and a new way and different. I always say different isn't bad. Right. So (laughs) I'm so um, just grateful for you, Susan. And I'm really grateful for your time. And, and I, I say the same about you and, and to watch what you have done uh, with, within the down syndrome community and starting your foundations and the outreach. And I look at that and am just blown away uh, mm-hmm. with it. But I've also learned from you how to reach other other people in my community similarly. Mm-hmm. And, and how can I make an impact on their lives that mm-hmm. might make it a little easier uh, for them? Mm-hmm. And 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 again, so there there is that parallel. Parallel, yeah. That that that, that we share. Our experiences are vastly different, but they're also amazingly the same. Yes. And And that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast is I think that we are all more similar than we know. And there is something really powerful about finding those similarities, especially in a world that wants to divide and wants to pick out all the differences, right? But to know how to connect for you and I to connect and for our communities to connect. It's a really amazing thing. And I can see the impact that my experience Mm -hmm. is, is having in just a very small piece of of the, of the larger scheme, but it's always building and, Mm -hmm. and, and my circle is always expanding and to be able to know that I'm making a difference in anyone's life is just so rewarding. Hmm. And I I just feel so lucky to be able to do it Mm -hmm. and to share it and, Mm -hmm. and to share these experiences with you and, Mm. and, and, and and reach others in, in a little bit different capacity. Yes. And, and you are having such an impact and, just grateful to witness it. Thank you so much, Susan. And um, I'm excited to see what's ahead and see what uh, amazing things you'll you'll conquer. Likewise. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so I... much for being here. And to the listener, we will see you in 2024 with uh, lots more guests, lots, lots more topics and bold voices, soft hearts. See you next time. Be sure to follow Misty on Instagram. Connect and say hello. We look forward to hearing from you. Bold voices, soft hearts.